we're actually going to read one of the probably the most famous verse of all time today. Um, so congratulations. You're among verse royalty. John chapter 3, where Jesus meets Nick from New Girl, I mean Nicodemus, and has a conversation with him. So last week we, we were in the book of Luke, and I want to do a recap real quick. Last week, Jesus visited a town. Anyone remember the name of the town? Start with a C. Capernaum. All right. Well done. All right. The week before that, he visited a town. Ended with F. There it is. <laughs> All right. So one town had faith. One town didn't. Which town had faith? Capernaum. All right. Which town tried to, try to kill him? Now there is. Not the day, Satan. I don't know how he did it. It's so, excuse me. I don't know how he didn't die. Um, and then... We, we got an element of faith. We talked about faith last week, and we said that faith comes from what? Where, did, where, does, where does faith come from? Remember that? Starts with an H. Hearing. I don't know who said that, but well done. All right, you should read our notes from last week. <laughs> we saw that faith comes from hearing, and hearing what? What is it? What is produces faith? Hearing the Lord's voice. Hearing the Lord's voice. So the Word of God. But we also, we got to train our brain. We read Word of God. That doesn't just mean Scripture. It means the active Word of God, which is Scripture and also is the Holy Spirit. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans ten seventeen. And then we talked about how there was a city in Capernaum that had faith, and Jesus was able to do miracles. And there was a city in Nazareth that had faith until they realized that the kingdom of God was actually for the outsider. It was for the weirdo. And then they tried to stone him and kill him. They were cool with Jesus giving salvation to the people who looked like him, but as soon as they gave it to the Gentiles, which pretty much just means not Jewish people, uh, they were not against it, and they said, let's kill him. Real big change of emotions there. And then we saw faith being a big part in Capernaum, and Jesus goes about on his ministry. So one of the next things that Jesus does is he starts calling his disciples. And so next week, you guys, I'm going to do a little uh, plug be here next week because Melina is teaching that lesson and she's going to talk about how each disciple was called and what that process looked like. Um, so I'm actually jumping a lesson ahead and we're going to rewind next week. That makes sense? Like one step forward, two step back kind of thing. And so when we're in John 3, a few of the disciples have already been called, but it's not really going to come into play here. So I said earlier that Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus. Um, that's a pretty cool name back then, I guess. I wouldn't name my son that. I don't know if Molina's in here. Oliver Nicodemus James. I don't know. And so he has this conversation. We found that he's a religious leader who just didn't get it. Nicodemus was a very literal guy. Do you, any of you guys have that friend that you're like, hey, man, I'll be back in a minute. And all of a sudden they start counting from 60 or, or start from one. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Nicodemus. <laughs> and or I've had all kinds of Come on, this is a real thing. Like, friends are, like, extra literal. Like, okay, yeah, this is Nicodemus. So we're going to read the first 18 verses in John 3, and we're going to get rolling from that. All right, let's go. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from, where it goes. So it is, that everyone is born of the spirit. So Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except him who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Let's pray real quick. God, help us to understand your scripture. This idea of faith and being born of the Spirit and you coming to give a life, may it speak to us. And we'll be ready to hear. God, I pray that the familiarity of John 3.16 doesn't drive us away today. But we're open to hear what you have to say. And so in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so I want us to go back through that story, okay? Pretty simple story. But let's look through it again and see what are some, I guess, literary elements, some key themes here. So it says that, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Now, Pharisees, a lot of y'all already know this, but Pharisees were kind of like the religious elite of that society. They followed all the rules to the T. Matter of fact, they had so many rules that they made man-made rules, and they were like, these rules are more important than Bible rules. We are going to follow all of these rules. And so it was like rules, 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 right? Awesome. But people actually viewed them as superior in their religiousosity, all right? They, they viewed them superior. Yearly. Gosh, I'm struggling. And as a result, society was like, okay, if they're incredible, they even said that they have righteousness, like all their good deeds, their incredible rule following is beyond anything that we could ever do. It's all at like Billy Graham level. Like, and here I am over here. How can I ever enter the kingdom of God? Because it requires all of this. So it was very much rule-based religion. So these Pharisees are also trained in the in the Jewish um, text. Now, let's make that real quick. The Old Testament. They read the Old Testament. They misunderstood it, how we know to understand it now. What they read in the Old Testament was that it was all these rules, and that was the purpose of it. When they saw the coming, the second coming of the Christ, or there's Old Testament actually teaches of a new birth. We're going to get to that. But they misunderstood those things and believed them all to be based upon being Jewish. If you were Jewish, you were blessed, you were God's chosen people, and that's how you received eternal life. It was based upon how, what lineage I was born into. It was the color of your skin that made you special. And so they're Pharisees, and this guy's named Nicodemus, and it says he's a ruler of the Jews. So not only is he a Pharisee, but he's one of the top dog Pharisees, all right? So this guy is the stuff, and he comes to Jesus by night. Let's stop there. Why does he come to Jesus by night? Not be seen. He, he doesn't want to have this conversation in public. This is a back alley kind of conversation because who is he? He's the elite. He's the elite. And so if there's any 
any speculation from people saying, hey, I think Nicodemus is starting to turn and believes in this Jesus guy. He loses all credibility instantly. And so he comes out of afraid of what people would say and comes to Jesus and just has a conversation. But what does he say? The very first word that he says, he says, Rabbi, we. All right, Rabbi. He understands that he is a teacher of the law. So like he understood that Jesus is a teacher. A rabbi just means someone that has followers as in a teacher. And he says, we. Why does Nicodemus say we? I want y'all to think about this. Nicodemus, he's a ruler of the Pharisees, ruler of the Jews. And he is regarded highly by many. Perhaps he's actually speaking on behalf of people. Maybe there was a group of uh, Pharisees that got together and like, I don't know, this, this Jesus guy, he might be right, he might be wrong. And there's this another group saying, let's kill him. And there's this other group, just ignored him. And there's this one group that's trying to figure it out. And Nicodemus says, hey, we know this. He's speaking for his community. He's speaking for his people. So Nicodemus, while it's a singular guy, it's important to think of it as a group of people. This is how people thought. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm talking really fast. But Nicodemus is, is resembling the people of that time. So when he says, we know, he's saying, this is how we think. And so when Jesus responds to Nicodemus, it's not just for Nicodemus, it's for that people group. All right. Look at what he says. He says, Rabbi, this is in verse 2. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He was kind of saying, all right, Jesus, you're, you're something special. You're not ordinary. Uh, you've got to be a teacher. It's like he's sitting there trying to figure it out, right? He's sitting there trying to figure it out. And he goes, okay, you've got to be a teacher. Uh, you speak a little different. Uh, so rabbi, okay, you got some fault. Okay, rabbi, um, you teach the word, um, but there's something different. And you know what? I think he's been with God. Now to say the phrase been with God is a, it's a lofty phrase. To say that, uh, if I, Alex, you're in the front row, so I want to pick on you. Alex has been with God has a lot of weight. That means there's been an interaction with God. And that implies that not everyone's been with God. And so he says, hey, you've been with God. So he's trying to figure that this out. He goes, okay, how were you with God? He's posing this question of what does it mean to be with God? Do you guys remember two weeks ago when I talked about um, how the Jews actually thought the kingdom of God was going to come to the earth? How it was going to be a political uh, empire that actually overthrew Rome? So remember, the Israelites or the Jewish people are enslaved by Rome right now and they thought when the kingdom of God came in, that it would be a political power that would overthrow Rome. You all remember that? So what happens here is that you have Nicodemus trying to figure out this kingdom of God. And he says, you've been with God. So what's the kingdom of God? How's their political power? What's going on? All of these questions are there. And it's Jesus responds to him. What I love about this, and this is just, maybe this is digging a little deep, but Nicodemus doesn't come and ask a question. He doesn't say like, hey, how do you get into the kingdom of God? He kind of just says up and says, hey, you're different because you've been with God. I think you're a rabbi. That's it. And Jesus uses that opportunity to kind of correct some of his thinking and offer him perspective. It says in verse 3, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. I love this. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he go back into his mom's womb and be born? And he says, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Okay, so remember I said Nicodemus is real literal. So Jesus says you must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. It's all about being in the kingdom of God for Nicodemus. He wants to be a part of that political power. Now, we know that Jesus is actually teaching a different method here, right? He's teaching that this kingdom of God is to reclaim liberty to the captives, to, to allow people that are enslaved by their sin. He's going to bring healing to the world. We read about that in the second half of our, of our passage today. But Nicodemus is still trying to figure all this out. And so when Jesus shows up and says, you have to be born again, Nicodemus is sitting here trying to make something happen. Think about his history. Nicodemus is always used to following a rule, following a regulation. He's used to doing an act or an activity in order to create some sort of religiousness. That's not a word either. Religiosity. All right. So he's used to doing stuff. And Jesus says, you have to be born again. And all of a sudden you take a step back because you can't do that on your own. There's no physical way for you to literally be born again. If he would have said, you have to be washed, and then you can be, receive the kingdom of God, he would have said, okay, I can wash my hands, and would have washed his hands. But if he says, you have to be born again, he's going, I can't do that. So how could I possibly enter into my mother's womb? I love how literal he is. And how can I do that? And Jesus is kind of like, okay, you missed it. Um, he said, Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Flesh is flesh, spirit is spirit. Now, water and spirit, right? Jesus says these are the requirements to be entered into the kingdom of God. So what does he mean? Well, first of all, this is just a little lesson. The Bible is not meant to be a very tricky book. There are some things that are a little harder to understand than others. Um, But let's not try to overcomplicate it. You could sit here and be like, well, water is really an allegory of this... Water is water, like a physical birth, like your mom's water broke, okay? Like, so like an actual birth, that which is born of water is water, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So he's saying that you have to be born of the spirit and born naturally, okay? So there are two births that are required to receive the kingdom of God. And he says that which is born of the flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit. It seems as if he's saying there are two realms. There is the physical realm that you can see, and there's the spiritual realm that you cannot see. There's the, there's the visible and the invisible, and Nicodemus can only perceive and understand visible. And so any teaching that comes on the invisible realm, he struggles to grasp, he struggles to understand, because it's so outside the box of what he thinks is possible that he, he can't even comprehend it, right? It's like when I go to my Calc 3 class, I'm like, I don't understand what you're saying. I have no idea. But I understand algebra. It's the same principle. So what happens here? Jesus actually says, he says, don't marvel. You've got to be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. That's how it is the Spirit of God. He's saying, look, imagine this. Do you see the wind? No. But you can see the effects of the wind. That means that there is an invisible realm that you are not even knowing about, that you're not even operating with. You're only operating in the visible in what you can see. We're going to draw that in a second. And Nick says this, you know, how can these things be? He still, he don't have a clue what's going on. How, how can these things be? And Jesus got a little sass in verse 10. 
He says, uh, aren't you the teacher of Israel? And you don't understand these things? And he says, uh, so you want me to give you heavenly advice if you're not understanding earthly things? And kind of says, in verse 11, there's a key phrase here. He says, truly, truly, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. They said, Jesus says, we think of it plurality, think of him, Holy Spirit, God. We speak of what we know. We know. What was the thing that Nicodemus came saying at the very beginning? Nicodemus, full of assurance, said, Rabbi, we know that you must be a teacher. So Nicodemus enters the conversation saying, I know. I know the truth. Jesus says, actually, aren't you a teacher and yet you don't know? By the way, we know. So he corrected that. Y'all see that? It's a little, it's a play on words there. Nicodemus says, hey, we know this. This is what we know. And then that was wrong. (laughs) And then Jesus says, hey, aren't you a teacher? Do you not know? And he says, but we know this. We know what it means. Look at verse 13. It says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the son of man. In other words, when it comes to heavenly things, Jesus is an expert. Why? Because I've been there. Okay, if we have two guys up here and one was born in Pakistan and then there's me, I have no idea about anything in Pakistan at all. But if I were to say, let me tell you about Pakistan, I'm going to tell you everything. Don't listen to that guy. Uh, I can tell you everything. It would make no sense because I'm not from there. I have no jurisdiction. I have no authority to speak on that subject. But God, because he was from heaven, actually came down to earth. When it comes to anything that's heavenly, anything that's spiritual, anything that's in the invisible realm, he has that authority to speak on it. Does this make any sense? So he has that authority, and Nicodemus didn't recognize it. So what does he do? Verse 14. I'm talking fast. Are we still tracking? Are we tracking? Okay, so in verse 14, Nicodemus actually um, hears a lesson from Jesus that he can understand. Jesus brings out a passage in Numbers 21, verses 8 and 9. And he says, okay, look, there's this instance. So remember, Nicodemus had studied the law, studied the Old Testament, knew what was going on. He said there's an instance in Numbers 21 where everybody's just getting bit by snakes and dying. All right? It's like Indiana Jones everywhere. And the Israelites are getting bit by snakes and dying. And so what they do is that he has a... He has a little like fixture that Moses makes where he lifts up this serpent serpent that's on the stick. And it says, and God says, hey, make this. And if anyone looks at it, they'll be healed and they won't die. Okay? So even if you get snake bit, you're going to be okay if you look to this for healing. That's kind of a weird concept for us. But the idea was that God said it and so they did it. And so when they looked at it, they trusted God. They trusted what God said. If God said it was going to bring healing, they were trusting what it was said. So he says this in verse uh, 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have life. Think about the Israelite. The Israelite got snake bit and saw the serpent, and upon looking at the serpent and believing that that could heal him, he received healing, right? But he portrays this, Jesus does, to himself. He says, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Son of man's another title for Jesus. We can kind of get into his different titles another day. But from this for here, it's the son of man, the title of Jesus. Son of man must be lifted up. And it says, and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Just as the Israelites looked at the snake 
believed in his healing power and received life. Anyone who looks at the Son of Man who's been lifted up, and we would later know this is on a cross, whoever looks at this man and believes in him for healing receives life. Does that make sense? And so what he actually does, Jesus breaks it down to Nicodemus on his level. Nicodemus completely missed it the first time, the second time, the third time, but the fourth time, Jesus says, I'm, I really want you to see this. And he, he, he brought it to them in a, him in a way that he could understand. Think about the person of Nicodemus. We're going to get to the last few verses in a little bit, but let's stop and think about the person of Nicodemus. How did he operate? He operated in what he could see and what he could think. He operated in the visible. And Jesus was saying, there's a whole other realm that you're missing. There's a whole other realm of the spiritual that to be born again implies a spiritual nature in that you're missing it. So I want to show this to you guys. So for some of y'all, this is going to be old hat. For some of y'all, this is the first time ever. So I want to talk to you about the nature of man, okay? And last week, y'all gave me a hard time because my writing was small, so I'm going to try to write bigger this time. Um, I want to talk to you about the nature of man. So here's our thoughts. We think man is actually made of three parts, okay? So there's the body. Can y'all read that? Yes? Yes, can I read that? Thank you. All right, there's the soul and there's the spirit. All right. So if you want to use different titles for these, that's totally fine. For the sake of just understanding this, let's use these titles today. There's the body, and this is the physical, okay? If this is your first time seeing this, I really recommend writing this down. This really helps you process through a lot of things. Um, this is your physical. This is literally your hands, your phalanges, this is like your skin. This is who you are, all right? And then your soul, this is your mind. Uh, way to go. This is your will. And your emotions. All right. Okay. And then the spirit. This is the place that every man was created where we were meant to house the spirit of God. Um, C.S. Lewis once said that every man has a whole-shaped heart, uh, a God-shaped hole in his heart. There it is. Right? So there's a place for God in him. And that's what we're talking about here. So... The Bible would actually refer to this section right here. Bible refers to this as your flesh. Okay, you guys remember hearing that word? Maybe when Paul's reading Romans or he's writing Romans and he talks about the works of the flesh versus the works of the spirit. Okay, so our flesh is governed and controlled by our mind, will, and emotions. And that's how we act. If I want to do something, I do it. If I have a desire to do something, I do it. And if there's an emotion inside of me, this is how I make decisions. This is how I process the world. And these are my actions that I live out. The flesh is governed by this. What is this? Is this invisible or visible? Visible. This is visible. I mean, not that I see your mind, but I guess I could see your brain. But this is visible. We are, this is something, a correlative understanding that we all share of how we think and how we process. This is our flesh. But here's the thing. We were made to be in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Okay? There was 
Um, this is going to be smaller, but this says communication. Okay. There was meant to be communication between our spirit and the Holy Spirit. And that was how it was meant to live. We were live. But when it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that hearing occurs because the Holy Spirit is speaking to our spirit. I want, I want to finish this, this graph and I'll show you this. I briefly drew this um, last week. But this says abide and this is transform. Okay. In other words, I want to just walk through this. As we spend time communicating with God, listening to his word, he transforms our life, transforms the way we think, the way we feel in our desires, transforms our actions. So what actually happens is that we have a downward flow, which we're, and this is our actions, okay? These are actions. That's terrible handwriting, but this just makes sense. And so, our flesh is governed by what we think, feel, and desire, and we just do it. But we were made to be housed by the Spirit of God. All right, I went through that really quick. But do you all have a basic understanding of what I'm trying to say? Is this, these head nods are really helpful here. Okay, thank you. Nicodemus purely saw the world from here down. He purely saw it out of what he, what he thought, what he desired, and um, what he felt. And this is how he made decisions. And so when it came to spirituality, he attempted to gain spirituality through this means. Which, when you put it like this, looks silly. Because we were meant to be connected with the Spirit of God. And we were meant to have a flow that whatever the Holy Spirit says and communicates, that happens. And as we spend time with him, that transforms us. And then that actually changes the way we think, the way that we feel, and our desires, and our actions change. And it's this uh, position of authority. Sometimes I'll draw it like that. This position of authority that we give the Holy Spirit that allows our actions to change. This is the invisible that Nicodemus cut himself off of, off from. And when Jesus shows up, what does he say? I want you all to look back at this. Um, verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Born of the Spirit. Unless you are aware that there is a, a, a birth that needs to occur spiritually in your life, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Because you were made to have three parts. But absent knowing the Lord, we only function out of our body and our soul. Everyone that you know that does not have a relationship with the Lord functions this way. Okay? Now let me ask you, can you create, can this person be moral? Yes, they can. Can they be very kind? Yes. Can this person live a good life? Yes. Can this person take care of their body, keep their emotions in check? Yes. But it's flesh and flesh. And flesh, living by the flesh, does not produce life. It says that the, being born again by the Holy Spirit produces life. That term born again, another way to think about that is regeneration. Another thing, way to think about that is the word anew. Um, in the old King James, he's, it's a, another, which I don't. But it implies that there must be an actual birth that occurs in you and one that is from above. So, in other words, there is, a media, there is a moment when who you are 
dies. And there's another moment where you're who you are again from above begins existing. That makes sense. There's a moment when our old self dies. And there's another moment. Well, it simultaneously occurs where we now are alive to live by the spirit of God. Let me tell you why that's important. Because if, if your old self is dead, then the problem that we run into is that we still try to understand and function and operate under old self, 100%. Yet, we were made differently, and so we have new life. This is a new point of the story, and we're supposed to operate with the Spirit. What this is, this is a real quick analogy. To completely cut yourself off from this, it's like you own a Corvette, right? Any, like, car fans in here? All right. So, car, if, say you own a Corvette, and you never started the car, and the only way you got from point A to point B was putting it in neutral and pushing it. Can you get from point A to point B? Sure. Your point B is going to become very shorter. But if you got in the car and actually turned it on, all of a sudden that car has life in it. And now can drive, you know, 0 to 60 in 3.1 or whatever it is. And that car has life and it can roar to life and it's, it's actually operating the way it's meant to operate. And there you are, you're driving, you're like, man, this is so much easier. But what we want to do, though, imagine you know, you know that and you know that's how it works. But you say, actually, you know, today I'd really prefer just to put it in neutral and push it. <laughs> I know how it works. I can start my own car. <laughs> I just want to push it today. <laughs> we would think you're crazy. If I saw you guys pushing your car on the way to Walmart, like I would think you're broke down, right? Like, oh, no, I'm just doing it by choice. <laughs> right? We would think you're crazy. Now, I'm, I'm pushing fun a little bit, but I want you all to think the same thing. When you're operating just based upon your mind and your will and your emotions, you're crazy. Because God has meant us to be housed by the Spirit of God. And that God's job is to transform us. Our job is to abide with Him, to be with Him, to spend time with Him. In prayer, meditation, in Scripture, as you're walking to your class, as you're driving your car, not pushing it. <laughs> We're meant to do that, and then God will change this. Are there moments that I still live out of my flesh? You Absolutely. Absolutely. And are there moments that I have to come to the Lord and say, all right, God, I'm doing this wrong. I'm doing this wrong. I'm... I'm trying to be old John, and that guy has died, and I have to operate underneath new John. I have to do that. You know what faith is? We talked a little about this last week, and I want to tie that. We said this was faith. I don't know if y'all caught that. Faith is the process where we spend time with the Lord, and he transforms us, and we in communicating from the Holy Spirit. This entire upper section is faith. And faith is what allows our soul and our body to be transformed, okay? But faith is saying, last week we talked about faith isn't just knowing facts about God. It's believing realities about God, and that transforms the way we think, see, and interact with the world. So faith isn't just knowing facts. It's believing the truth of that, and that actually changes the way we think and operate. So faith, in this moment, is saying, I know this old guy's dead. And I know this new guy's life. So the only way I can live is with a new guy. And then taking that from knowledge and putting that into a place where that is how we operate. 
I know the old guy's dead. The only way I can live is through the new guy. The only way. This, the idea of operating like this, it's dead. And we have new. So when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he's saying, hey, Nick, you're missing it. You're working your tail off down here. And you're struggling. And you're coming to me for some reason underneath the cover of nightfall <laughs> to have this conversation. Perhaps, perhaps you're ready to hear some good news. Or perhaps Nicodemus is ready, just purely interested. The story doesn't end with, and Nicodemus devoted his life to the Lord. <laughs> it's rather just a conversation that we're left in the balance. And is, it's almost as if the writer of John, who is John, says, what are you going to do with this? There's this guy who spoke for his people, and this people group operated here. But he was saying, hey, you're missing it. We operate here. I wonder, do we know any people groups that operate here? Do we know any people groups? So anyone in your classroom, anyone in sorority, anyone that sits next to you in the SC? <laughs> do we know people? And yet we were meant to be housed by the Spirit of God that changed us. So, okay, I'm running out of time, but go back to uh, 3. We want to look at verse 16. So we have this idea of regeneration. Idea of being born again. And born again is such like this, used in the 90s, it was a hip phrase, right? And then it got to discipleship, and now we're on community. And like, there's all these hip phrases, right, in Christian culture. Well, born again used to be the big one. And, hey, man, are you born again? It's, it's like a weird phrase. Like, how do I answer that in the midst of Starbucks? Um, so to be born again, we've got to think that there is a death to our old self, and there's a life that we now live. Death to old self, life that we now live. What that isn't, and this is the beauty of it, and you all going to hear me talk about this all the time, that isn't me changing my behavior. That isn't me reading my Bible more. That isn't me, I'm actually at church now. I haven't missed all, all semester. It's not that. Because what that is, is actually operating by your flesh. That's creating morality. That's them. So like they had this system. The Pharisees had this system of what they deemed to be a spiritual person who was elite and doing well, and a person who's kind of spiritual, not doing well. And they had this system. And, and you know, hey, I, I did this and I did this and I did this, and so I feel good about myself. I feel good spiritually. What that is, that's all behavior modica- modifications in the flesh. So that hits me, too. Because I sometimes go, well, I, you know, I read my Bible all every day this week. So I'm doing good. I'm good, man. I'm spiritually killing it. And I got to stop myself because what I'm doing is I'm trying to work the system here. I'm trying to live here. And God is saying, live with my Holy Spirit and dwelling within you, communicating with you. Now, does that mean I should read my scripture? Does that mean that I should spend some time in prayer? Absolutely. But that's out of the process of abiding for the purpose of transformation and hearing from him, not out of just fixing this behavior. I would, okay, I'm just going to take a side note. If you are really trying to change one thing in your life, there's an addiction in your life, there's a situation, there's a habit, there's anxiety. If there is something in your life that you are just going all out to try to fix, I, I want you to just I'm not saying you are. I want you to reflect on this. Are you attempting to fix it here? 
when the goal has never been to fix these problems. The goal is meant to have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Let him speak to us. Let him transform us. And then see what he does in our life. So, struggling with something, perhaps the job isn't to stop giving all your effort to stopping this thing. But rather, just to sit and listen to the Holy Spirit and begin to say yes to him over and over and over again. It might sound like a roundabout way, but I think it's there. Verse 16, I want to finish real quick. It says, God loves the world and gave his only son who believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. This is the exact same thing. And you literally can preach a whole different sermon on this. But do y'all see that? God loves the world, that he offers an opportunity for eternal life. In 2 Peter 3, 9, we don't have to go there. I want to tell you what it is. Peter actually says that God doesn't desire that any would perish, but that all would come to salvation. Okay? So God's desire is for all of humanity to come to a point of salvation, to a point, come to a point where they're living this way, being, understanding the spiritual realm. That's what God's desire is. Because he has that desire, because he has that deep love for the world, he sends his son to die. Just like Moses raised the serpent, those who look to Jesus receive salvation. Not just forgiveness of sins and here you are, you're a better human. This is, and we're talking about a life change. The old guy dies, the new guy lives. We're running out of town, but I want you all to think about that. Life change. This is literally a moment of dying to ourself in the way that guy used to operate and living to the new person. Nicodemus couldn't see that. He, he just struggled. Because he only saw the visible. Yet the invisible is here staring at him in the face saying, live this way. And it stares at me in the face too, guys. Like I said, there are moments when I totally make terrible decisions based upon my will and my emotions. Every time I grab that cookie in the pantry, <laughs> based upon my will, I make a terrible decision, right? There was no consulting the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Good, thank you. You're left. I want us to think about that. How are you living? Are you processing the world like Nicodemus? Or are we processing the world as God intended for us? Does that make sense? Because that's the life that Jesus died for. Jesus didn't die just so you could be a better person. Jesus' goal was never that you would, I don't know, quit cussing or quit stealing or stop your addiction or uh, don't do tax fraud. <laughs> like, that was never his goal. His goal was saying, here's life. And I want to leave you with this. In Genesis 2, God creates Adam. Do you remember that? Well, what is said? It's said that this God breathes into Adam, like from his nostrils. He breathes into his nostrils. And that word breath is literally the same word used for spirit. In other words, God breathes the spirit of God into Adam. And as a result, Adam's alive. Life always happens from the spirit of God. Life absent the spirit of God is this. You're operating out here. But life with the Spirit of God is where it comes from. Just process that. Okay, guys? It's something that I'm processing. Um, 
And the beauty of this, and I want to make this real quick, is that you don't have to consult the Holy Spirit on everything as you spend time with him, right? This, this morning you got up and you got dressed. Everyone got dressed. Congratulations. You put clothes on. Well done. When you got dressed, did you say, oh, uh, God, should I wear the blue shirts or the white shirts? I'm just going to sit here until you speak. No, no, no. No, no. You just chose one because you thought it was cute or dudes because it was the one on the floor and you grabbed it. Like, and that's what you did, right? What happens is as you spend time with God, he changes the way we think. And so that our mind, and Paul talks about this more, says we have the mind of Christ. Our mind actually begins to reflect the way that Jesus thinks. And so there are moments when your instinct will say, I need to do this. And you know that actually lines up with the Spirit of God. Because as you spent time with him, he's changed the way you thought. Right? So when you got up and put a shirt on, you knew what's an acceptable and not acceptable shirt. Say you had one shirt that had incredible vulgarity on it. And you're like, man, I wonder if I should wear this to church. You know, like in that moment, you know, that's a bad idea because I've met with God and that's a terrible idea. And so your mind was able to make that decision. As we spend time with God, our mind gets transformed. Our will gets transformed. And then we begin to operate differently. I'm throwing this real quick at you, but this is, I'm hoping this makes a little sense. If it doesn't make sense, I encourage you to go home and really think about this little graph. Um, I did that in college, and it really helped me understand just why am I functioning this way? Why are my desires this way? And why am I acting this way? Cool? All right, let's pray. And then any questions about this later, you can ask me. God, thank you that little things like graphs can help us understand the way you've made us. God, we believe that we will be made to be filled by your Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, we ask that you speak to us. God, we do not want to live a life absent you. That is Nicodemus. That is a guy just trying to do his own thing. God, we want to live in step with you. We want to be like Paul in Galatians. We want to walk by your Spirit. God, help us to know where you're leading us. Help us to know when you're speaking. Yeah. And God, we don't want to be like Nicodemus and miss the spiritual realm. We want to see what you're doing. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.